Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 22. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me. Matthew 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 and then skip down to verse 41 to the end of the chapter. 1 through 14 and then 41 to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible of your own or ushers have Bibles available, just raise your hand and they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. If you already have your Bible and have turned, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, Matthew 22, 1 through 14 and 41. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Some, so, excuse me, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the, king, when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. May God help us honor him in this message today as we listen and as we give our hearts to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in our service today. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for the grace that has allowed us to come together and to worship you in this place. We thank you for all those who are gathered here, thanking you for waking us up this morning, 
giving us safe transportation, allowing us to meet together today. We pray for others who normally would be with us but are not because of travels or perhaps even some maybe because of sickness. We just pray that you would help us and unite us again at the next appointed time. We pray that um, you would bless the preaching of your word today. Allow us to hear, to understand, and to respond in the right way to the challenge to acknowledge you fully and trust in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this season where we recognize and celebrate Jesus coming into the world. And we pray that we will gain more understanding of what your purpose and your plan is in your son and how we ought to trust and obey him and who he is. Help us understand that more fully and to live it out in our lives. That he is your son appointed the heir of all things. We have an opportunity because of what he has done for us to be with him, to be a part of his purpose, his plan, and his family. And we pray, Lord, that we might speak your word, the gospel, so that more can be included in that family with you. Now bless your teaching and your word today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a number of questions that Jesus is asked, actually starting in chapter 21. Skeptics ask Jesus a question, and we see his answers and his responses to those skeptics. And in chapter 22, at the end of that chapter, Jesus reverses course with them, and he asks them a question. that they can't answer. In fact, it's a couple of questions. At the start of this whole discourse, in chapter 21, he asked them a question, or excuse me, they asked him a question about his authority. Where do you get the authority to do what you do and to say what you say? And he answered that with a question. He asked them, the authority of John the Baptist, where did it come from? And they were stumped with that question, not because they didn't know the answer, but they knew that the answer would reveal their hypocrisy. Because they thought, if we say that his authority came from God, they knew Jesus would come back and say, well, then why don't you follow him? And then they thought, well, and if we say that his authority comes only from man, they knew that the people would be displeased with them because it was, it was known, well known, that John's authority came from God. So Jesus asked them a question that they would not answer, not that they could not, and they said, we don't know, we can't answer. And Jesus said to them, but then I won't answer you about my authority and where it comes from. And that began this discourse of them asking questions and him giving an answer. 
But it ends in this part that we read earlier in chapter 22, verse 41. It says this, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. They thought that would be sufficient. And that Jesus would have no response to that. But look closely at his response. He said to them, how is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is it, how is he his son? Very simple and straightforward question. The question comes from the text quoted in Psalm 110. Let's read that. Psalms 110 says this, the Lord said to my Lord, I'll say that again, the Lord said to my Lord, hmm? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus makes it clear that this is what we call a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that speaks of the Messiah who is to come, who is, Messiah is the word Christ. It speaks of Christ coming. Jesus makes that clear. And he says, this is what David proclaimed. The Lord, meaning our Heavenly Father, by the way, if you, in most Bibles, most English Bibles, they will distinguish between Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, meaning Jehovah God, to the second Lord mentioned there is capital L with a small case O-R-D, which is Adonai or Master. It's still a respectful term, but it's a distinguish between there. The Lord, Jehovah, says to my Lord, the Christ, what does he say to him? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does this prophecy mean and how is it fulfilled? It's repeated all over Scripture. Sit at my right hand. We are told in Scripture that Jesus, when he descended, when he ascended into heaven, he is seated where? At the right hand of the throne of God. That's repeated over and over for us clearly in Scripture from Acts from Revelation, and, 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 and all the way through, Jesus is the one sitting at the right hand. That right hand is a position of honor, authority, and power. You've heard the term, he's my right hand man? Right. That's saying, look, I'm number one, but he's right next beside me. 
God the Father sits on the throne in heaven. In Revelation, we have this beautiful picture of, of God who sits on the throne, and with him there is his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God the Father says to his Son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does that mean? It's very clear. I'm going to make your enemies no longer a threat to you. They're going to be something you prop your feet on. In other words, you will have complete victory over your enemies, and they will, they will submit to you in total. Perhaps it's Isaiah 9, 6, when it says he's prince of peace, speaking of this time. Not peace because everybody just loves him and just bows down and obeys him. Because he has totally dominated and had victory over all of his foes. This is the Christ who has come and is to come. Jesus quotes this psalm. Let's read on. Psalm 110, verse 2. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of the youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpse. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. It speaks of the victory, the complete and utter and ultimate victory that Christ is going to have. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. In Revelation, we're given the plan of God in the end times. It's like turning to the end of the book and reading the end of the story, how it all wraps up. So Revelation is written so that we might have comfort in our distress. Perhaps this generation or generations to come, right before Christ comes. Because times are going to get worse and worse and worse. And then Jesus is going to return, and he's going to have total victory of all of his enemies. So this is a time of Jesus' return. He does two things. He gathers his saints to himself, and he judges or brings judgment on all of the earth. We see those judgments unveiled in sevens. And the reason for seven is seven is the number of completion. God created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. In other words, it was done. 
Seven is that number of completion. And so we see seven uh, 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 judgments. We see seven trumpets and seven angels that announce this great judgment to come. And I want to bring your attention to verse 15 because if you read through Revelation, you see there's a lot of drama and build up to the seventh trumpet and the seventh angel and the seventh judgment. So we understand God is about to complete all that he has planned to do. That, that's the message there. So in verse 15, it says this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, listen to this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it's like you read the rest of the chapter, everybody got up and shouted. <laughs> they just said aloud, amen. And he shall reign forever and ever. You know that song, right? Hallelujah. He shall reign forever and ever. That simply reflects the plan and purpose of God that's given in Scripture. We see that in Psalm 110. We see that Jesus referred to in Matthew 22. We see it here in Revelation. It is a continual plan and purpose of God, that he is going to reign in his son or through his son. He's going to complete all that he purposed to complete. I say this because this is what Christmas reminds me of. This is the joy that I have, that Jesus is the son sent from heaven to complete the task of God, and he's come and he's done a portion of it, and he's going to come and finish it. Don't stop with a newborn baby born. Understand what that baby is born to do and what he's going to complete. And don't stop there, but understand that you have a role. You can either part yourself with the winning side or ignore that and be part of the losing side. Jesus, and going back to Psalm, excuse me, going back to Matthew 22, let me just speak there a little bit. The question is, who is Jesus? Is he just a little baby in a manger? that receives gifts and makes a nice, cute little story? Or is he much more than just that? And then with that question, I want to ask you, if once you acknowledge or see who Jesus is, what have you done with him? What are you doing with that truth? How is that truth impacting your life today? This is not just a history lesson. This is real life right now. Since Jesus is who he says he is, we'll be fools not to reflect all of that in our lives right now. In other words, we'll be fools to not line up with his Jesus and what he's coming to do. So let's just look a little bit at this. We read the, the portion in Matthew 22. 
But I want to go to Matthew 21 and just highlight just a few things. In Matthew 21, verse 23, it says, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? If you follow the, the, the context, um, this is the triumphal entry of Christ. Um, when they laid the palm branches down for him and he came in on a donkey and, he, and they began to pro, uh, uh, promote him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, to Jesus. He didn't reject that. He didn't say, Oh, oh no, not me. Don't, don't, don't say that. <laughs> and so people questioned him. Well, who do you think you are? You let people praise you like this. So that's when he asked them the question about John the Baptist. And we could see their response. And then the next thing, he asked them a question as he gives them a parable. In verse 28, he says, what do you think? A man had two sons and went to the first and said, son, go and work in a vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Here's the question. Which of the two did the will of his father? Simple question. Which one was obedient? Now, simple answer, right? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe it. He says, I, I don't blame you for being wrong the first time and not believing. But after you saw that you were wrong, you didn't repent and then turn to him and believed. Remember the first son says, you know, I ain't going. Dad, I don't care what you say. I ain't, I ain't finna do that. I got other things to do. But then he repented and he followed his father. So Jesus says, you worse than them. He never did that. Then he told them another parable. Parable of the, the tenants. Read this real quick. Here another parable. This is verse 20, verse 33, I'm sorry. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Well, when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have the inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Here's the question that Jesus asked them. What is the master going to do when he gets back? What is he going to do to those ones who attacked and killed his son? They answer. Verse 41, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who have come who will give him the fruits of their season. They answered the question, 
because Jesus made it plain. Jesus tells a story. He sets the, the scene. He asks a question. He gets an answer. They're right. That's exactly what the master is going to do. You see, the master has patiently given this request from his servants, and they've been disrespected, ignored, ill-treated, and even killed. And then the master, once for all, sent his son. He says, certainly, they'll recognize the authority of my son and honor him with the message that I give to my son to them. They didn't do it. Verse, uh, chapter 22, he gives another parable. Are you starting to get the idea? Jesus is speaking to this group of Jews and saying, God has given you this clear message over and over again, and time and time again you have rejected it. What he's saying is this, and he's saying it clearly to the Jews. You ought to know who the Christ is. And if you didn't know at first, I've given you plenty of messengers to let you know who he is. And I'm going to hold you accountable for who he is and how you treat him. In other words, whether you bow down and honor him or whether you utterly disrespect him, you're going to have to answer to me. Now, why does he give this to the Jews? He's saying, I want you to know and be clear because you ought to know. This is not a secret. This is something that I have planned and have announced through time. I'm just making it clear to you who he is so you have no excuse. And they fail to listen and respect time and time again. Do you know what? That's the history of the Old Testament. That's the history, in fact, of all of human history. That God has come he has sent his own son to give the message to people, the message of redemption, and they have rejected it over and over and over again. Now I want you to see the grace in God's plan. In chapter 22, he gives another parable. It's called the parable of the wedding feast. You can read it, but let me paraphrase. A rich man gives a wedding feast for his son. And he tells his servants, prepare the feast and go out and invite all the guests who are on my guest list who I've invited. And he go, the servants go out and they invite all the guests. These are ones that are on the guest list who've invited. One by one, they give excuses of why they can't come. You see, the, the, the wedding feast is sometime in the future, but they still get, you know, well, you know, I think I got something planned on that day. Oh, I think my dad is sick, and he might be ready to die. I better take care of him. I got business to do. I'll be out of town. All of these excuses. It says in verse 5, but they paid no attention, went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. What's the king's response? He says he was angry. 
He sent his troops to destroy those murders and burn it. See, each parable has a different nuance that he wants us to understand. Here, here the king took vengeance on what they had done to the servants, the disrespect that they showed. And then he sends out servants again. He says, well, since these wouldn't come, look what he says in verse 8. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Wow. They were invited, but they showed themselves not to be worthy. I wonder who he's talking about there. Well, he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the nation of Israel. John chapter 1 says Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Speaking of his own, yes, creation, but to his own very people. This lion of the tribe of Judah, this one who came, the son of David, this one who came as an Israel was rejected by all of Israel. So in this parable, the story goes that the king says to the servants, verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. It's like they were indiscriminate. They, they didn't have a special guest list there. They were just inviting any and everybody to the feast. What is this a picture of? It's the picture of the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. You see, God's, God's invitation went out, and it went out to his special people because he had demonstrated to them that salvation would come to them and actually through them. Want to get an idea? You see in, in Genesis chapter 12 in the promise to Abraham, through Abraham I'm going to bless all nations or our families of the world. Of course, in Matthew 1, it tells us that Jesus is the son of David, is the son of Abraham. It's through Jesus that God was going to do all of this that he had promised to Abraham. But the Jews utterly rejected all of God's plan. We can see that over and over in the Old Testament, the history. You know, we think of, too often I think we think of the Old Testament is, is, a, is a picture of, of God's people following God's promise, but it's really a wicked and sinful people utterly going against God, denying who he is, and not being faithful. And in each of that, we see what we call a remnant, a small group of faithful followers who actually do what God says. Kind of a picture of that would be the story of Noah, right? Is that all of the world had become so wicked and wretched that God said, I'm going to destroy. But he says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's like Noah was the only obedient one and had taught his small group, his family, to be obedient to God, to honor God, and he was alone in all of his world. You think we feel alone now? Imagine how Noah felt then. There was this small remnant of faithful ones who looked to God and looked to his promises and were clinging by faith to what God had promised. 
but overwhelmingly there was a world of skeptics, a world who did not and would not believe and accept and trust what God had said. That world of skeptics really represents you and me. You and me, not a part of any special group, but God allowed the gospel to come to us. How is it that we believe the gospel? It's nothing, anything that we can pat ourselves on the back for. God made us alive. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that we were dead in our sins. God made us alive in him. So the whole thing of God redeeming his people is one of the work of God. Even the Jewish, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, were not in themselves righteous and obedient to God. God had to drum up a people, give them life and faith to trust in him. That's what he's done to me and you. We were outcasts of God. God invited us to his wedding feast. We didn't deserve it. Not a one of us. And we were brought to this feast. But here at the feast, something else happens. Go back to Matthew 22 now. Verse 11 says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Got to understand a little bit about the culture. And that is, the wedding garment was not only expected, but it was provided as well. For everyone invited to the feast. So it's like, it's not like saying, well, you know, I didn't have enough money to get, to get my clothes, to get my tux, or, or, to, or to get suited up for this. It was provided for them. And so the, the man had just decided, I ain't wearing that. And you need to understand the disrespect that that shows. And the king, you can see that in the king's response. This is a gracious king. After those who rejected him, he goes out and said, well, let anybody come. Bring them all in. And I'll, I'll provide everything that they need to come and enjoy my feast. But this one says, I ain't, ain't going to wear that. Could be bothered with that. Isaiah shows that the garment that we have is, our, is God's righteousness that he provides through Jesus Christ. That's the person just like Cain that says to God, my best is good enough. You don't want this, then forget it. Abel didn't do that. He says, God, I'll give you what you require. This man comes into the feast and says, I ain't wearing that stuff. And the king points him out. You ain't dressed. You don't party. <laughs> you don't come in. And he says to him, how'd you get in here looking like that? Why would you, who gave you the audacity to step into my palace not dressed when I gave you everything you need to be dressed? Now, what is it that we need to be dressed? What does it need that we need to come into the presence of God? It is righteousness. It is righteousness. We can't get that on our own. It's not a one here, including myself, who has a righteousness that brings them into the presence of God. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. There's a reason for that. 
in our human state, we cannot come face to face with God because of our utter sinfulness. Every last one of us. You know, we tend to dress up ourselves in our own homemade outfits. I'm okay because I'm educated. I'm okay because I'm cultured. I'm okay because I'm rich and I have resources. I'm okay because I'm talented. And God says no to all of that. Either you wear the garment or you reject it. The garment is what God provides. It's just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve recognize their sinfulness but decide to clothe themselves and they thought they were sufficient in themselves to provide a clothing uh, uh, acceptable to God. But God did not accept that. He instead made clothing for them of skin. They had, had they had woven fig leaves together and put that on. And God says, no, I'm going to give you garments of skin. Why the garments of skin? Because God was setting forth his purpose and his plan that sin had to be paid for by a sacrificial death of an innocent party. That innocent party was that animal that had to be killed for that skin to be used for covering for the sinner. Jesus is that sacrificial garment. His blood was shed so that we could have our sins covered and appear before God without being utterly destroyed. God set forth the pattern all the way early in his word. And so we get into Matthew 22 and we see what the, what the king did and what he said. He says, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a clear indictment. He's going to receive the utter judgment of God. And he says this, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. What, what would that mean? He says, he's been a part of those who've been invited, but few are chosen. Really, he's saying this. The Jews are part of that group who have been called. They've been called God's special people, but they rejected God. And so, in essence, they were unchosen by their own act. Many are called. God, God, God is offered to many, but few are chosen. When you're chosen, you recognize this. It's not because of your goodness, not because of your grace. It's because of the, God, the, the, the grace of God, and we don't even know why. We'll spend eternity. God, why did you save me? Why did you let me see your son and give me the faith to respond to this and, and, and turn my whole life around? Why did you do that? I don't know, but I'm thankful. <laughs> I don't know why, but I can say yes, amen. Thank you, God. Let, thank, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your family. If you're here today to hear the gospel and God is calling you to himself, to choose Christ. So at the end of this passage, he says to them, who is this Christ? Who is he? Is he merely 
the, the descendant of David. He is the descendant of David, but he's much more than just that. There are many descendants of David, but only one would be the child of God. So he is the one whom the Lord, God Almighty Jehovah, says to the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's saying, I am going to make you king of kings and lord of lords. Sit right here in heaven until that happens. Right now, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's waiting for the Father to say, it's time. I sent you to earth once. I'm sending you again. The time is prepared. Revelation says we don't know when that time is. The time is short. In other words, in reference to God's timing, it could be any day now, any moment now. It may be that we won't even see 2024. We don't know when he's coming. He could, he could be coming at any moment. When he comes, he's going to rule over all of his creation. Philippians said every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Revelation says that it's going to be people in heaven, it's going to be people on the earth, it's going to be people under the earth. Yeah, people in hell are going to declare Jesus for who he is even though they, they have been condemned to eternal judgment. Because what God says is true and they all will acknowledge it whether they can can appreciate or live in the blessing of it or not. It's like going into jail and asking people, who's president? They may not like it, <laughs> but they're going to profess who's in charge. That's what's going to happen. So he says, sit here at my right hand. until I put your enemies under your feet. When Christ was born as a baby, he came to reign over all the earth. And he hasn't completed that yet because before he would reign, he made provisions for sinners like me and you by dying on the cross for our sin so that when he reigned, we could rule and reign with him. I'm so glad of his purpose and his plan because it includes me. What are you going to do with who Christ is? Don't you see that? God is calling you to submit to the king, to bow down before him before he demands that from everyone. We bow down willingly and say we know you are king. You're king right now. You're sitting at the right hand of the throne of God who is in control of everything. Will you let him be king in your life? Will you open your heart? Will you open yourself to him and say, God, I recognize your son for who he is. I recognize him, first of all, as Savior, the one who died on the cross 
for my sin. I submit myself completely to him. I look forward to his purpose and his plan for all of eternity and for tomorrow. I, I live in his purpose and his plan. Father, I don't deserve this. Take me to be your son and use my life for your glory. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you. Christmas is more than a tree with lights on it and presents under it and the eggnog in the refrigerator and a good time and good things to eat. But it is truly a celebration of your son for all that you sent him for. May we open our eyes and see Christ more fully for all that he is. May we submit to him right now. Oh, come, let us adore him. Means that we don't just smile at a little baby in a manger, but we say amen to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we bow down to him right now in our own lives. We submit to him. We trust him. We obey him. In what? In everything. In everything that he called us to do. We recognize that this is best for us because you love us and you've made every provision for us to be in that wedding feast with you. Help us understand, help us to appreciate, help us to live out our submission to him. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service today, I'm going to ask our leadership team if they come forward so that we can present Robert. Where are you, Robert? There you are. Come forward, would you please? As a member of Sweet Communion, we're going to present to, we're going to present